Welcome to this episode of Law Girl. I'm Jasmine Dea coming to you from my personal injury law firm, Jasmine Dea & Company, located in Midtown Toronto. Joining me today is Carolyn Chambers of Gelman & Associates. Carolyn is a family lawyer, and we're going to have lots of questions for her today. But before we delve into those questions, I want to tell you a little bit about her. Carolyn graduated from the John Molson School of Business at Concordia University in 2003 with a Bachelor of Commerce in Marketing. She then got her LLL, which is a civil law degree in 2007, and her LLB, which is a common law degree in 2008 from the National Program at the University of Ottawa. She also has an LLM in family law, which she obtained from Osgoode Hall, and she has earned the designation in 2017 as a certified divorce financial analyst. We'll ask her more about that shortly. Uh, She is also an accredited family mediator and a family law arbitrator. Carolyn has been and is on various boards and with several organizations. She's obviously very intelligent. Welcome, Carolyn. Thank you so much for that introduction. Thank you for joining us. I'm excited to hear about family law. I think it is an area that a lot of people find fascinating, especially with the trends we're seeing or hearing in the news as a result of COVID. I will ask you about that a little later in this episode. But first, I want to know a little bit about you. Why did you decide to go to law school? I've wanted to go to law school since I was a child, apparently, and I don't remember this, but my mom found some of my old old, you know, papers from school. And I was something like eight years old where um, I said, I want to be a lawyer when I grow up. And I think I was inspired by, you know, the shows like Street Legal. I was inspired. I remember that one. That was Canadian. Exactly. Exactly. And they're always on the steps of, I think it was Old City Hall or Osgoode Hall. I I can't remember where where they were. That's one of the best things about Canadian TV that we actually recognize places. And it's very rare that we recognize places because we're always watching American shows and we don't get to see things. But in Suits, did you watch Suits? You know how I, it took me eight episodes into the show where I, until I realized, huh, I think I have an office in that building. It's also very familiar. I saw the Hudson's Bay logo in the background of one of the scenes. And I said, really? <laughs> so were they actually filming in your office building? Um, maybe in the lobby. In so the you, lobby. Never the lobby. you never saw them. You never saw them. Never saw them. Never saw them. Hmm, interesting. But isn't that, isn't that so cool how you can just see these places, these landmarks in Toronto? And you're like, wait a second. I, I love exactly where it is. I love Toronto as a backdrop for any show. I love it as a backdrop of life. Yeah. Right? (laughs) So you're practicing in family law. We already know you wanted to be a lawyer since a very young age, apparently. (laughs) And uh, you've chosen family law or it chose you. How did you get into it? Stumbled right into it. As we often do. Similar to my story, I guess. But tell me your story. How did you stumble into it? Sure. I um, In law school, I focused on securities and corporate law. Oh, like me. Oh, really? I did. I was focused on securities, tax, corporate, because my background is in business. I have degrees in economics and finance. My father is an accountant by profession. I've grown up in business with my families, with uh, restaurants and other things. So I just thought, oh, corporate, you know, that makes sense. It made sense to me too. And I... 
Um, I articled and worked for a year in a, a general practice and I primarily focused in corporate law and I enjoyed it, but there were also family law cases at that firm and those were so interesting. So they gripped you more than the corporate stuff. Yeah, I even started my master's in um, at Osgood in securities law and one class into it, I said, this is not, this is not interesting anymore. What happened? Mm-hmm. So I decided to sit in on one of the family courses and I remember it was, um, I think it was Justice Spence teaching it and um, I was enthralled. I was like, this is it. This must be it. So uh, no, I was really lucky to have some interesting cases in family law at the firm I was working at and um, had the opportunity to then watch a course that I found so interesting. So interesting. So whether it was at the firm you were at or whether it was the LLM, is there a particular aspect of family law or a case in family law that drew you that you said, wait a second, I need to do this? I think it's the, it's. I don't want to say it's entertaining, but it is entertaining. Some of the stories that people have so interesting such interesting stories that people have um do you often see a fight about who gets the ring oh yes <laughs> i had that as an issue in a trial just earlier this year well i asked because i was at motions court a few years ago it was a contested matter which meant that i was at the end of the day uh and i had to wait around and just before me was an argument about the ring and i was like seriously this happens in real life but I guess that's normal. I don't know. It wasn't really an argument about the ring. It was about whether, well, the person wasn't, the other side wasn't giving the ring back to my client. That was the question. What was That was the issue. Mm-hmm. They giving they were, they acknowledged that the ring belonged to her. So it was just, yeah. Oh, so she physically wasn't giving it back. Yeah. But she had already acknowledged she needed to. Uh, no, he acknowledged that he was going to give the rings back to my client. Oh. Hadn't done so oh. up until trial. So, so it's not just either it goes back to the man or it stays with the woman. Is there a rule on that or is it depend on each case? I mean, I suppose it's, you know, a, a gift and contemplation of marriage. And once the marriage occurs, it belongs to the person that has the ring, that is, is wearing the ring. So if the man, which traditionally the man will buy the ring, give it to the woman. You could arguably just say the woman gets to keep it if the if it doesn't marriage, go so well. <laughs> if the marriage is completed, an engagement ring, yes, absolutely. Oh. And, and if it's the man's wedding ring that belongs to him and the woman's wedding ring should belong to her. Well, I just learned something. Tough luck for my husband. <laughs> I'm kidding. Things are good. Things are good right now. <laughs> I hope you never call me. Well, he, he also doesn't listen to my podcast, so I can see anything. <laughs> I want about him. Um, so you also, you mentioned you, well, actually I mentioned for you that you are an accredited family mediator and an arbitrator. First of all, can you explain what is the difference between a mediator and an arbitrator from a family law perspective? Okay. So a mediator is there to help the conversation, to guide people through the process in a safe way, trying to get the parties to reach their own resolution. The mediator is not there to make any decisions for them, isn't there to uh, necessarily throw out ideas on how to resolve things, but mostly to guide the conversation and get the two people to come to an agreement. Some people may be saying the same things, but aren't reaching the same conclusion. Um, And that tends to be an issue in family matters where parties find it really difficult to communicate with each other. So part of the goal 
for a mediator is to get the parties to communicate and reach a resolution on their own. And what's positive about that process is that once you've reached a resolution on your own, you're more likely to follow the settlement you've reached. It suits your needs rather than having a stranger like a judge decide for you. I'm a personal injury lawyer, as you know. I've heard the term (laughs) collaborative family law. Tell us about that. So you need to be specifically trained to practice in collaborative family. I'm not a collaborative family lawyer, but the goal is to work together, retain jointly experts to help you through the process. You're not going to court. You're trying to resolve this together. So part of it is negotiations. There's a lot of meetings. Um, I've, I've never been involved in the collaborative process because I don't practice in that area. But you're staying outside the courts basically yes. is the goal. Yes. See, I and I, I brought up personal injury because I'm, I'm trying to picture a collaborative personal injury. I'm wondering if an insurer would ever negotiate with us in good faith outside of court. And I just feel like it won't work. <laughs> It may be what, you know, I I don't know. I, I, I don't know much about the personal injury practice. And it, I mean, it might. I think it would be hopeful that people could try to work together to resolve things mm-hmm. rather than have to rely on someone else to make decisions for them, which is the... No litigation. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we somewhat do that because a lot of our cases, most of our cases actually in personal injury, settle outside of court. It just doesn't always make sense to go to court. Exactly. It's expensive. And exactly. from the civil aspects, there are cost consequences. You have to make a Rule 49 offer. Well, you don't have to, but you're supposed to make a Rule 49 offer to settle prior to trial. And if you don't, beat that offer that was offered to you, if you get a Rule 49 offer, let's just say of $50,000 from the other side, and the jury or the judge awards you less than $50,000, then you're on the hook to pay the other side's legal fees. And so that's a huge risk. Absolutely. It's the same in family law. If you don't make an offer to settle before trial, or even before a motion or any major step like that, if you don't make an offer... Um, or if you do make an offer and your offer is, you know, the judge orders something that's not as good as what you offered in the first place to say, you know what, your honor, like I, I made this offer six months ago. And since then I've spent all this money on legal fees and fighting and preparation, the emotional stress of going to trial and here I well, you don't get really damages for emotional stress of trial. But point is you've spent all this time and money preparing for a trial. And at the end of the day, you have a result that's not even as good as what you offered six months ago. Why wouldn't you ask for your court, your legal fees from that point onward, given that you made that offer and they should have accepted it? Absolutely. I mean, that's exactly what we have. And I think it makes sense because it really makes people consider the offer and say, is it worthwhile to roll the dice, keep going, and then... As you know, the decision-making is completely out of your hands. And so I often tell my clients, you know, our job as lawyers is to make recommendations. Yes. We are not the decision-maker. I always view my role as making recommendations to my client. My client is the boss. They're telling me yes, no, but hopefully they agree with me because, you know, I'm trying to give good advice, but ultimately it's their decision. And, um, you know, I think that when you show them the risks, the rewards, the potential for getting less, the stress, and litigation is stressful. You can't put a dollar figure on that kind of stress. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's sometimes a business decision. Are you going to spend X amount to get X back? That doesn't make sense, you know? So think about it. Are you willing to sit up there and give your whole life story and- To strangers. To strangers. They get to make a decision about your life, or would you rather be 
be the decision maker. And maybe you're getting a little bit less. Maybe you're getting a little bit more. Exactly. Yeah. So exactly. we've got the, a similar uh, similar roles, I think, in the way we are helping our clients come to a decision. They have similar considerations, even though totally different areas of law. Absolutely. You know, it's part of it is the creativity of creating these, you know, interesting settlements that really focus on the people that you're in front of. You know, not everybody's situation is the same. So having these creative resolved issues, like ways of resolving things, it helps each family move forward Mm -hmm. in a way that, you know, it's not always going to be Friday to Sunday visiting time with one parent from, you know, 8 p.m. on Friday. Like it it doesn't always work that way for every single family. Mm -hmm. So having the opportunity to really go a little bit deeper, try to get the right resolution for that specific person in front of you. I think that's part of that's part of our job. And I think that that's really important. The business aspect of understanding, okay, well, the emotional and preparation costs of going to trial, what is it worth to you? All of that is on top of the law is what makes our jobs really interesting. Absolutely. And yeah. you know, the other thing is, and I'm, I'm just seeing these similarities. The other thing is that with my clients, oftentimes you mentioned it's, it's a business decision about what makes sense. And while you and I are are explaining that to them, they often have emotions connected. And that's when an individual who's very intelligent and normally would make a sound business decision about right and wrong, they have difficulty making it in a personal injury case. And I anticipate what you're going to tell me is also a family law case, because in my cases, the person has been injured because of someone else's negligence. They might have had, they might have had to have suffered financial losses because their inability to work. Um, It might have impacted their relationships, unable to do things with their children like they used to. There are so many ways in which an injury can affect some of my clients. And they're so, they become so upset. You know, why did this person do this? Why did they, why were they driving so stupidly? If they hadn't, you know, if they hadn't been driving like that, if they didn't hit me, none of this would have happened. Or if they didn't um, have a hole in their backyard that I stepped into by accident that wasn't marked in any way, shape or form, I wouldn't have sustained a fracture to my leg and then uh, had all these issues thereafter. So there's the emotional aspect that makes the the decision-making process not so simple. And I, I'm assuming you have that too. A family case can is the, probably the most personal you're going to get, right? On top of like, that's the whole life. It's like throwing, I heard a celebrity refer to the separation process as throwing all these balls into the air and seeing what, you know, where things are going to land. So personal. But I mean, I've had people argue about because they're so emotional, so upset about the whole situation. Everything's getting, everything's escalating because they're not agreeing on simple things that they will fight tooth and nail for a Vitamix. You know, they will (laughs) spend for a Vitamix. For a Vitamix. Hmm. They they both wanted the And again, this is probably, you know, not how they would normally behave. Absolutely. I, I, I genuinely believe that the people that I'm speaking to are not their real selves at that moment. I give a large amount of leeway for that because I know that they're not. I do the same thing with my clients because I have incredible clients. I'm very blessed mm-hmm. to be able to say that. They're amazing people. And some of them, when they're coming to me, you know, they're just in a very difficult place. And sometimes their reactions, even to me or to my advice, is not probably how they would normally react because it's so personal. Um, but oftentimes they will come back and say, I'm really sorry. 
And I'm like, it's okay. I understand. I don't, don't always worry. get that. Oh, you don't always get <laughs> no. I'm not saying I always do, but oftentimes <laughs> we'll talk about that when we're not recording. <laughs> um, so tell us about your day. As a, as, a, as a family lawyer, are you in the office? I mean, let's talk pre-COVID because we're going to okay. talk post-COVID shortly. But pre-COVID, were you in the office every day? Are you going around to different places? Are you in different courts? What is your what does your day look like? Every day is different. Some days I'm in the office. I'm talking to clients. I'm meeting with clients. I, um, you know, phone calls, writing letters, preparing, you know, pleadings or briefs for court, things like that. Some days I'm in court and it, I, I go to any court, any any court in Ontario you want me to go to, I'll go to. So um, I spend time driving the court or, you know, sitting in court and waiting to be heard, speaking with my clients, negotiating with opposing counsel while I'm out of court, waiting for my turn. We have six offices um, at my firm. There's an office in Barrie, Aurora, Mississauga, downtown Toronto, Scarborough, and our main office in North York. So I'll spend my time between one or two of those. Um, Are you based out of one of them? The North York. Yes. So do you have an actual office there? I have an actual office there. And then meeting rooms in other um, We actually or? have a set office in all of those locations. Okay. The Barry office is in a standalone building. Yeah, but the others are more shared office spaces, but it's the same office in each location. So it's not like, okay, this, 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 today you'll be in this office, for example. And different lawyers will book the different offices in our firm uh, to meet with clients, to meet with consults and have consultations and stuff like that. So, um, so you could be anywhere. I wouldn't go to all of those offices because that okay. would be quite overwhelming to have files in every single office. So we, I was going everywhere pre-COVID, and this this whole court shutdown and virtual proceedings, virtual discovery, virtual mediation has really made me step back and say, "Wow," because I'm not commuting anymore. Anymore, I, well, my commute is you know, 15 minutes from right. my house to my office, mm-hmm. and I have a lot more energy. Let me tell you, not sitting in bumper to bumper traffic. I don't I don't actually miss that at all. You're not the first person to say that. I can't believe how much time we were wasting. Uh, uh, the time true. and energy. And then I would become so I, I don't want to say cranky, but the real word is cranky. <laughs> you know, with with my kids, I, I need some time, you know, to unwind. I get home and they're like, mommy, mommy, mommy. You know, they want to tell me about their day and they want and I'm just like, I just need a minute. I just need a minute. And it's because sitting in traffic after you've been in court all day or in your proceeding all day or wherever, and your head is spinning in a million directions and you're wondering, you know, what I have to do still because you've spent the last hour commuting. Exactly. You know, I still have work in the evening. So you, I'm sure you do too. Imagine you're in a trial, you're in Orangeville, you're in Oshawa, you're wherever, and then you have to go all the way there. You're in court all day. You come back. It's exhausting, but you still have to prepare for the next day. Exactly. All that time sort of spent commuting is time that you could have maybe done more work, gotten it done earlier, and then enjoyed some part of your evening if that's possible. Yeah. So we're losing, we were losing a lot of time. And we were also, I think, um, we were becoming drained. I mean, I was. Um, And I didn't like how I would sometimes snap at my kids, you know, and I feel then I have mother guilt because I'm like, oh my gosh, they just wanted to, you know, ask me a question. And I'm just like, can you talk to me later? (laughs) 
<laughs> but I've made up for it. I'm proud to say during lockdown, I spent a lot of time with those kids with the virtual learning and all that. So I think I've made up for it and I got to stay on that trajectory. It's wonderful. You know what? I mean, I think this time has given us a lot of opportunity to really see what is important to us and what you know what life could be like if it was a little bit different. I won't lie. I liked the old way, even if I complained about it sometimes. I know. I do miss. I know I miss my old life court, too. Physically in court. It. But I, I found it, you know, because you had the opportunity to negotiate with opposing counsel before going in. Now it's a little harder. Um, and it's different. It I mean, different. I, I've talked to several lawyers about this. And I, I actually even just interviewed a criminal lawyer for this podcast. And we had a very similar discussion about how a lot of these simple matters that we deal with, they should be dealt with virtually. There is no reason why a consent matter requires my attendance at a court that is 30, 40 minutes away, add traffic to that on top of the 30, 40 minutes. Um, it, it's just so unnecessary for a five minute appearance. And then the commute back, like it, it's unnecessary. Completely However, agree. when you have a contested motion or a heated issue or a complex matter with multiple counsel, I really believe that being in person is so much better because advocacy is an art and yes. it just is not the same when you're on Zoom and there's a lag and everyone has to stop because someone's internet dropped and all these issues. I, I, I completely agree. I'm curious. I've done a motion by Zoom already. I haven't done any trials. I'm very curious. I don't know if they're doing any trials by Zoom. I've just learned from the criminal lawyer that okay. they have done criminal trials uh, through video conference. I don't know what platform they're using. Wow. Uh, but they're doing them in the U.S. I've seen that. So, you know, it, I think that as lawyers, we need to adapt. We need to, to learn. Adapt. And I more so think the courts have to permit us to do this. <laughs> because while, you know, initially with shutdown, we all just kind of stopped because no one knew how to practice virtually. Was it the same for you? Absolutely. Yeah. Basically, justice came to a standstill. Yeah. yeah. We couldn't do anything. We had to figure out what to do and how to do it. And so after I would say four to six weeks, I think people realized, okay, this is not going away. COVID-19 is not going away. Our backlog is increasing. We have a duty to our clients. Uh, we all want to work. We also right. need to earn a living. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so we've adapted. But um the courts, you know, while they say they're going to modernize, let's hope. Let's hope. I think it's slowly on its way. I know they're outfitting the courts to have, you know, I guess, glass barriers or plastic barriers. Plexiglass. Like plexiglass. Plexiglass. That's what it is. Yes. yes. Um, so that could be distant, but yet have a proper trial in person. Because mm -hmm. you're right, it is an art. If you're cross-examining someone, something's fiddling, you can't see that, or you don't know whether they have or somebody. They have someone helping them. Exactly. I know. So I, did, I have a discovery coming up, and there's a contentious case involving a gunshot wound that my client sustained at a karaoke bar in Toronto. Oh and as I said, liability is an issue because I'm not just going over the person that shot my client, but I'm going after the karaoke bar because of the lack of security. And I am concerned about proceeding with the discovery virtually because 
How can I properly get the evidence I need on a contentious liability case? You know what I'm talking about. I need that person right across the table staring at me and me staring at him. (laughs) Exactly. Nobody holding up cue cards saying, you know, this is what you need to say next or don't forget this point. Or The point is to get the person's story as they understood it, as they know it, by asking them questions. And and the truth. We need to get to the truth. And I just, in contentious cases, I just don't know how we can get to the truth as effectively, as efficiently when it's through video conference. I kind of want to find out, but I also... Well, I'll let you find out and you let me know. (laughs) How about that? (laughs) Sounds good. So we talked about pre-COVID, what your days were like, and they sound similar to mine, sort of all over the place. Every day is different. And that's one of the things I love about personal injury, that you can never be bored. I can't imagine your line of work being bored at all. Oh, no, we're not Always bored. something. But it sounds similar to yours. You're everywhere. You're never just in one place. No, no, it was, it was, I was always doing something. And meeting new people or was it the same people within the bar? What was it? You know, when you go to certain courts, you'll recognize, if you go there enough, you'll recognize the people that are there. It's like the lawyers and the, and the clerks and the, the judges, obviously, like you'll get to know people. And, and that like, also hey, comes with time, with experience. Yes. Uh, and there's something to be said, you know, for that. Like, I love that I walk into certain courts. They're like, Miss Dea, nice to see you again. You know, exactly. feel special. And it also makes you feel good when you know that when you're on the other side of a matter with a lawyer that you know and knows and you know that they, you know, their work style, that you know, their litigation style, you know, their willingness and ability to negotiate. I think that's where getting to know all these lawyers really helps. You've raised such a good point. I tell associates and students all the time, network, meet as many people as you can. There's so many positives, but in particular with with respect to what we're talking about, I really believe that when I know the lawyer and they know me, they aren't really adversarial from the get-go exactly because they know me they know i'm going to be fair and reasonable and if i need to become a little more aggressive that is most certainly going to happen but i don't just act aggressive for no good reason exactly that's unnecessary and contrary to the rules of professional conduct in my opinion uh, but if people don't know your style then and you don't know them and not even style but just knowing each other it just gives you an instant rapport that i believe is helpful to serve our clients. Exactly. You know what? I asked my, if, if somebody's consulting with me, I ask, does the other person have a lawyer? Who are they? Because I want to know whether I'm going to play well with, you know, if they're going to play well with me, if it's going to be, I mean, I, don't, I have a no list, but it's very short. And, <laughs> you know, luckily it's very short. But if that person is going to say the person, you know, the other lawyer on the no list, quote unquote, no list, I'm going to, I'm going to have to think very hard whether I want that level of stress in my life. Explain to our audience what you mean by the no list. The no list is a list of lawyers I already know I don't work well with and they don't work well with me and for whatever reason. But it's super short because it takes a lot to get on that list. So I have something that I call the oh no list (laughs) because (laughs) there's just a few people on there and I see their name come across because for us, we sue and then we get a defense. It goes, well, sorry, even before then, we sue, it goes to the insurance company. The insurance company hires a lawyer. It's not always in-house. It's oftentimes um, outside counsel. 
counsel. So I'm not going to know who it is for months. And I won't know until the defense comes my way. <laughs> and uh, usually I'm like, okay, uh, there's a few times I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, good friends. Right. I, I'm like, yes, I get to work with so-and-so. And it's again, not that we're not going to do our job, but it's going to exactly. be a little bit yeah. more fun. Uh, as fun as law can be practicing law. <laughs> but uh, there's a couple I'm like, oh no. So yeah, I have the oh no list. You have the no list. It's a no list. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Post. Well, we're not really post COVID. So we're in a pandemic. Yes. We don't know what post COVID looks like yet. Although stage three is coming on Friday in Toronto. Is it? Yes. I didn't know this. Yes. The, uh, it was just announced a few hours ago. Oh, I'm okay. so excited. I really thought they would wait after until after long weekend because they wouldn't trust us. Right. <laughs> I'm sure someone will give everyone a reason not to trust us. Yeah, we'll, well, we'll see. We'll yeah, see. I'm sure. But I won't be one of them. I will be responsible. I will and be I'm too. super excited about the potential for in-room dining. I don't know if I'll actually do it, but the fact that I can is exciting. It is. Yes. So during during COVID, tell me what has changed in your area of practice? The most interesting thing is, you know, I find that I don't have to meet with my clients in person all the time. Something that you mentioned on a previous podcast, because I very much enjoy your podcast, so I've been listening to them, but you mentioned uh, virtual uh, commissioning. And I was like, yes. Isn't that amazing? Why would I have to drag someone out of their own office, out of their own day, in the middle of the day, so they can take the subway, come up to my office, sign something, and then leave. That makes no sense. It so, really doesn't. I mean, they're, Toronto's big. Yeah. And while you can get anything commissioned by anyone who is capable of commissioning, and we're not the only people, mm-hmm. you know, some people charge and some people aren't comfortable. And some of our own clients aren't comfortable. They'd rather just do it with us. And I, I completely understand. I mean, I want to be able to serve my clients, but it makes absolutely no sense. And I'm really happy that it sounds like virtual commissioning is here to stay. Oh, I hope so. I mean, having affidavits, financial statements, those are generally part and parcel of every single appearance that I that I have. So can you imagine how many people come to my office to sign stuff? You mm-hmm. know? Um, so I try, we try, we've tried to avoid it by doing sort of like other ways to get getting it done. But I mean, this virtual commissioning is perfect. I've, I won't, I won't lie. I do. I actually do enjoy the zoom conferences. I don't like the telephone conferences as much. I have to admit, because you don't get to see people's expressions. You don't know whether the judge wants to hear what you're saying or doesn't care about what you're saying, wants you to move on. Um, can't see everybody's expressions. I think that that's really important. Do you have a preferred platform now for your video conferencing? Oh, zoom. Zoom has been, you know, that's, that's what the courts are using too. So I had a zoom call with my friends. Mm -hmm. This was in the early days of lockdown. Okay. Um, and so we we tried, we failed miserably at trying to do this more regularly, but we had one. Okay. <laughs> we had one Zoom. I, I don't know. I don't want to say it was a party. It was, I don't know. We were all on Zoom and getting together and chatting and catching up, which was, it was nice. But I put on a background and my background was palm trees and sunshine, which yes. is one of my favorite things ever. Mm-hmm. And it was a picture that I had from my last trip to Miami, okay. which was at the end of February. It was It was two weeks before lockdown down oh, my last trip ever. Yes. It was a birthday trip. So oh, it was excellent. very fun. But I put this as my background. And then the next day I had a Zoom call. Thankfully, it wasn't for a proceeding. It was with accountants and this palm tree background <laughs> <laughs> pops up and they're like, where are you? 
Did you and, get it off? Yeah. I was like, uh, I, 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 like how I'm stumbling now. Like I was stumbling. <laughs> I was like, uh, because I was new to using Zoom. Like I, right. I think I used it a couple of times before, but I'm trying to figure out how to change the background and what to do here. Like they actually thought that it was so cool that I was working remotely in this, in this destination. And here I am trying to explain, no, I was just on a call with my friends last night. You know? That's amazing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, I think Zoom is great. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know that they've had some security issues of late that uh, some people are a little bit concerned. I had one defense lawyer refuse to use Zoom. They want to use WebEx. There's one insurer that for our proceedings are requiring us to use WebEx, which is much slower in my opinion. And maybe it was my internet. I don't want anyone suing me for this. Like I'm not trying to say WebEx is bad. I just, my preference is Zoom. Mm -hmm. WebEx, I had a few issues. And the other one I'm using is Google Meet. I haven't tried that one. So my firm uses the Google platform. So we have Google Meet. It's very easy. My kids' school, were they were using Google Meet for parent-teacher. But it's it's really interesting because throughout the day now, I'm five seconds before I'm supposed to be on this call. I'm like, oh, crap, I need WebEx. Zoom. Oh, is it Skype? Is it Google? Like it's... Right. Oh, it's just a regular phone call. <laughs> the regular phone call kind of trips me out now. I'm like, wait a second. It's a phone call. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it takes a lot of organization to manage all of these different platforms now. But I yes. Know. Well, my best advice to people is have everything, have your main platforms on your devices. Right. So all my devices have all of them so that I'm not trying to download the app when I'm supposed to be on the call because that has happened. That happened all through the beginning of lockdown. I'm, you know, everyone's like texting me, we're waiting for you or they're emailing me. We're we're all on the call now. Uh, Jasmine, are you joining us? Yes, I'm just trying to download this thing, you know? So it's all there. It's the best advice ever. Then you just look in your calendar, you know where you need to to do. Exactly. I must be lucky because the course I've been using Zoom, I did my arbitration course by Zoom. I even like hosted dance parties by Zoom. So I've been using Zoom a lot. Wait a sec. Dance parties? Yeah. Tell me about that. Just a group of friends that we we would create a playlist. Um, I would, you know, share my share the playlist, share my screen. You can see everybody else dancing and just dance in our own. Like this is when it's like like hardcore lockdown, you know? Oh, like April when I was suffering from like very unhappy feelings. (laughs) Yeah. Those were tough times. I figured, you know, a Friday night dance party would be a little bit a little bit uplifting. So nice, fun. Look at you. We're gonna have to have our own little dance party on Zoom. You can teach me later. Yeah, I think everybody should get their own strobe lights for their houses. Oh, you have strobe lights? I did get one. What did you order it? Amazon. Amazon. Yeah. See, this is another thing. <laughs> Look how we've evolved. <laughs> this is the way it is. And they say lawyers don't have fun. Come on. So tell us about an interesting story, interesting clients. We want to get a feel for what you are doing in terms of real life cases. But we want something interesting because it's for my audience. So we want, you know, fun case. Am I supposed to keep it, you know, G rated? That's not fun. Okay, because, okay. You can go X rated. (laughs) Well, okay. I did have one interesting case where um, 
the person um, the person in front of me wanted me to look at these pictures proving that their ex had cheated on them. He had a very interesting story about it, but he kept wanting to show me these pictures. And I'm like, I don't need to see these pictures. I honestly don't, you know, it's not going to make your case different if necessarily if they've cheated on you. Like, I don't need to see these photos. We kept insisting, like, I just really want to show you that I'm not lying. You know, he told me this insane. And your client's the male. Yes. And he's and his ex was presumably a female. Yes. So he wants to prove that his ex had been cheating. Had been cheating. So I didn't. He had a USB and he had them on his phone. I said, I don't want the USB. I don't want to put whatever you got on this USB on my computer for obvious reasons. I said, okay, fine. Show me one picture if you need to show me a picture. And he showed me this picture of his ex and it's a very X-rated photo. And I and I, I don't know why he insisted on showing this like, to me. What are we, is she in a vertical position, horizontal position? A back end position. Okay. Yeah. And with someone? No one else was in the picture. Then how I presumed proving? that someone else had taken the picture and it wasn't him. He also showed me a different picture right after that of her with someone and it clearly wasn't him. And I'd rather <laughs> not go so deeply into what she was doing in the photo, but it was clear that it couldn't have been him. So I it's just, you know, I thought this was then I went to lunch, you know what I mean? And I and I and I couldn't believe it. I was just like, you know, am I not entertained? Is that is this not the things that people want to show me? Very and people will go very deep into their personal lives, which is fine. I, I don't, you know, share the information with other people and, but and they're don't probably, give details, but they're probably looking to you to say, Yes, I feel your pain. I now understand why you're so angry and you want to not share anything with this ex. Sure. I can do that. I can, you know, I can, I can, I can, I'm empathetic. I mean, I will be, I won't be like, I don't want to see that. Put it away. You know, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll listen to the person, but at the end of the day, it doesn't actually make a huge difference in their case. Well, I get that because a lot of my clients, they want to show me details about, you know, either the treatment they're getting mm-hmm. or, um, you know, their inability to do certain things and general damages for pain and suffering is one component. And in in Ontario and in Canada, it's not worth a lot and it won't like so if you can't do a certain activity, like if you forgot yeah. to say you can't go bowling mm-hmm. because your leg gives out, but you've listed all these other things that you can't do, it's okay that you didn't talk about not being able to go bowling because it won't make that much of a difference. Unless maybe it's like their their most favorite activity and they're part of a bowling league or something. Yeah, maybe. But maybe then they would have brought it up. Exactly. Sooner. Yeah. And so I get it. You know, with with our clients, like they want well for my clients because they can't speak for years, but they want me to know all their details because they want me to understand. And I can't fault them for it because I feel like if I was in their position, I would probably want my lawyer to know everything because I don't know, because as the client, they don't know what's important and what's not. Absolutely. That's so true. Right? I I do listen to them. I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. But I'm wondering, so are you, when when you are shown certain things, like what you describe, are you, have you ever been shocked? Have you ever been like, oh my God, I can't believe I just saw that. You know, I, or you passed that. Every day I, I, I thought I've seen it. I think I've seen it all. And then I see something different and I'm just like, okay, this is one more thing. 
that I've learned today. You know, that's what I like about people. They have so many interesting stories and so many interesting backgrounds. And, you know, everybody's marriage is different and you get to see a little bit into everybody's everybody's lives. It's very interesting. You really get in there deep financially, emotionally, you really get in there. And mm-hmm. I think that that's part of my, one of my favorite parts of this job is that you really get to understand people a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is the question that I have been discussing with my girlfriends as well as my husband, actually, mm-hmm. um, because during lockdown, um, we're all forced to, if we have a significant other, if you're married mm-hmm. or you have a significant other that you live with, you're forced to just be with that person. Right. <laughs> and it's not easy. <laughs> you're, you know, you're used to, um, you know, leaving each other and then coming back to each other, maybe at the end of the day. Right. On top of that, you add the stressors that we've had, such as, you know, if you have children, then their home and the virtual learning that we've mentioned already. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got the fact that you don't have the outlets that you used to have, such as having, you know, maybe me time, like going to the spa, you couldn't right. do that, or going out with your girlfriends or or guys getting together with their with their boys and, you know, giving the relationship a break. So have you seen a surge in people seeking a divorce because of COVID? Sadly, yes. I have a lot of consultations now. I have a lot of people who um, may have contacted me prior to COVID and waited, you know, sort of waited it out afterwards, see what happens, and then came back and said, you know what? It's time. Like, I can't be in the same house. Um, you know, we're fighting a lot. It's not good for the kids. Or they're finding just increased stress for being in the same home. And so I'm, yeah, I'm finding that there are, there's an increase for sure. And especially, you know, everyone has a different home environment, Mm -hmm. you know, especially in in the city. If, if you're in a living in a condo, I mean, most of the people in downtown Toronto are living in a condo and there's nothing wrong with that. So I lived in a condo for years and I had a great time. But if you have more people in a smaller space, you can also have stress on the relationship because you can't escape. (laughs) Exactly. And escaping requires a whole, you know, do I have my mask? Do I have my gloves? Do I have my pipes? Am I going to get down the elevator? Like how many people are allowed in the elevator? How do I get out of the house? Everybody's, you know, required to stay home. It must be difficult. It must be difficult, especially if things aren't going so well, especially if there's a lot of people in the house. And normally you're right, like having the outlet of going to school, going to work, coming back at the end of the day, it's easier, I would guess, than being stuck in the same home with like a bunch of people. Yeah. So the clients that you're seeing are these individuals that had a good marriage before and then COVID hit, lockdown happens, relationship crumbles, or are these relationships, were they already on the verge or they already had cracks in the foundation and now have totally crumbled? I haven't seen a lot where because of COVID and the time spent together, they've crumbled. It was usually something that something before. came up beforehand. Yeah. And then d- this was just the, the straw that broke the camel's that's back. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So you're busy. I'm very busy. I think I'm probably close to my level of busyness before COVID. Well, that's horrible for all right. these couples, but good for you. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's good, I suppose, for quote unquote business, but it's, yeah, it is unfortunate that so many families weren't able to make it through. 
COVID. Do you have a discussion with these individuals about, you know, are you sure you can't work it out? Part of uh, part of my job is to actually do that. I mean, if I'm going to be starting a court application, I have to indicate that, yes, I've, you know, done whatever I can, could to try to get the parties to work it out. I asked them if they've been to counseling. I asked them if they... Um, you know, what they've done to sort of try to work things out. Sometimes it's clear that it's too late to do much. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, sometimes the grass is not always greener on the other side, right? Right. So, you know, I guess it is what it is. What is the divorce rate now? Is it 50%? I honestly don't know. I I have no idea what the divorce rate is only because that's my job and that's all I see. So I've read that it's one in two, which is a lot. I know. That's a lot. It is a lot. It doesn't even account for those who don't get married. Yeah, common law. Yeah. And so you bring up another point that we haven't discussed. So common law, that would fall under your domain also? Absolutely. Um, Common law spouses have all sorts of issues, property issues, uh, child-related issues if if they have kids together, support-related issues. Um, And so it has to be... this is going back to my law school days, mm-hmm. but I believe it has to be a relationship of some permanence. Um, a common law relationship is three years in Ontario. Okay. So, and but if they have kids, it's it's sooner than that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's no automatic property rights if you are a common law in a common law relationship. So it's a little bit different, but there are no like limitation periods for necessarily how long you have to be in a relationship before you qualify, quote unquote, for support or your kids will always get support whether you're in a common law relationship or in a marriage. So, I mean, certain things are the same and certain things are different. Any regrets about going into family law? With regards to what, my personal life or with regards to like professionally, was it a bad idea? I think professionally. Either, both. Professionally, I think, um, especially in the time of COVID, I find that it was probably a good move. Mm-hmm. I enjoy the work. I really do. I find that it's helpful to people. Um, you get a chance to be really creative as much as possible within the confines of the law, obviously. But um, but there's a lot of there's actually a lot of room to be creative and, and help people. But you know, seeing so many relationships fall apart hasn't been necessarily good for me personally. I would think mm-hmm. people used to ask me, "Doesn't that affect you? Doesn't that bother you?" And I used to say, "No." No, it's fine. I can compartmentalize. But after I'm into my, I think, 12th year of practice now, I it's it's not as easy to compartmentalize well, Even anymore. when we think we are, mm-hmm. we're not. That's true. It, it certainly affects me and I imagine it affects other people So uh, that are in this area of law. It's not easy to do the type of work that you and I do, you know? Like, no, it's not. I close my eyes and I see injury. I, I'm scared for my kids to do anything because of what I've seen. And right. they sort of roll their eyes at me and they're like, oh, you know, one of my kids... Um, we have a pool and she knows that they can only dive in the deep end and she did it in the shallow end. I'm like, what are you doing? Spinal cord injury, paralysis. What are you doing? I've taught you, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, again, I'm fine. I'm rolling her eyes at me, but (laughs) they know better. Um, But yeah, it's, it's our job, right? It's our jobs that they interfere a little bit Mm -hmm. with, um, with our personal thoughts on things in our personal lives. But professionally, it sounds like you love what you do. I do. And if you're able to sort of remember that the problems aren't necessarily necessarily your own, so you can, you know, leave that at the door when you come home, then it's it's something that I would recommend if, if, if someone was interested in family law, mm-hmm. practicing family law. Um, 
it really is an interesting area of law. Very, it's very, it can be very creative, as I said. But it's it, if you can leave, if you if you take things personally and you carry the burdens of others, it'd probably be really difficult. Mm-hmm. Well, what I love hearing from my guests mm-hmm. is how much you love what you do, and it sounds like you do, and that's amazing. That's all you can ask for, right? With the profession, um, yes. I love what I do, and I'm happy to hear that. So do you. Thanks so much for coming today, Carolyn. Really appreciate the insight on family law. This is a great podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you.